Recording live from the Engine Room in Broad Ripple, this is the Voices of Indie podcast hosted by Josh Gillespie. Voices of Indie is a show dedicated to giving you the opportunity to know the musical, visual, and theatrical arts of Indianapolis, Indiana. This week's guest is the founder and executive director of Freetown Village, Ophelia Wellington. Freetown Village is a living history museum without walls, a living experience in African-American history. Today's podcast is sponsored by Indianapolis Independent Entertainment. IIE LLC's goal is to help grow local DIY artists, freelancers, and businesses within Indianapolis and generate more paying creative opportunities. Their mission is simple, to establish a network of creatives who excel in areas of need and connecting them with other network members. This way, they can help to expand the local art and music scenes. IIE believes that by eliminating some of the intimidating barriers within the entertainment industry, more opportunities will be produced for local freelancers and businesses. This will help Indianapolis become the place to go for art and music in the Midwest. If you are interested in learning more, go to their website, www.indieindient.com, that's I-N-D-Y-I-N-D-I-E-E-N-T.com, and fill out a free application to discuss how you and IIE can redefine making it together. Miss Wellington, thank you so much for being on the program this week. I am grateful to have you. I'm looking forward to this time with you, Josh. First of all, tell me a little bit about Freetown Village, because outside of what I've seen on your website, um, I am honestly unfamiliar with with Freetown Village and with the work that you're doing with this, but I am absolutely fascinated by it. Well, thank you for that question. I get it often, and uh, we are a living history museum, and our mission is to educate the public about African-American history and culture primarily as it relates to Indiana. So we use the performing arts to teach history. We'll have theater, storytelling, uh, music, workshops, special events, summer day camp to teach our history and culture. So we have over 15 different programs. Oh, my goodness. And most of our programs tour. So we've been to 80 of our 92 Indiana counties all of the surrounding Midwestern states, and opportunities to do all kinds of things, especially with the Internet. We go international. That is amazing. So tell me a little bit more about some of some of these programs, because I'm interested. We're going to be talking about the theat- theatrical aspect here in a bit. Um, one of your actors has been on my program previously, uh, Miss Latrice Young, uh, with Small Change Interactive. And so I am thrilled to find out about the program that she's going to be a part of, but tell me more about um, some of these interactive programs that you do, uh, especially as it relates to the, the traveling. I mean, hitting 80 of the 92 counties, that's pretty amazing. It really is. And how we get started is basically researching our history and our culture. And I'm a former educator, and I know when I taught that just talking to my students did not get it. Sometimes we had to show them, give them the opportunity to apply what they learned. And after getting more curious about our history and our culture, I thought, gosh, this is some interesting information. How can we get more people to know about this? Mm -hmm. And as I was researching, I thought, you know what? I'll write a book. They'll read the book and they'll know. And I thought, that's not going to work because I'm reading a book. Mm -hmm. I'm reading articles. It's here. Mm -hmm. 
then that's when I pulled on my background as a classroom teacher. I said, we have to show people history. So I thought, suppose I dressed up in a costume and I talked about some of these things that I knew and people could ask me questions about things that they were interested in. And since I have the research in my head, like a classroom teacher, I would just share with them. Mm-hmm. And people are only going to ask questions about things that they were interested in. Things. So that's really how I got the idea. So that's how we started. I thought, well, what should we talk about? There's so many areas to begin. I, where do you even start? So then I thought, okay. Some of the more interesting things that people don't know is right after the Civil War ended, right after uh, emancipation, the first generation of free people of color, what did they do? The The first generation of free people of color are just similar, just very similar to first generation European immigrants. Really? They were looking for life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many of the people who had been enslaved left the plantation looking for land and opportunities. That's all they wanted. Education, land, and opportunities. Those that left the South went to areas where they could acquire land or work the land, buy property, and live their life. They started schools and churches. There are many communities. In Indiana alone, there are about 60 smaller communities that the former enslaved and free people of color, because everybody who was black was not enslaved. That's correct. There were free people of color who lived in some of these communities, and some of these communities were stops along the Underground Railroad throughout Indiana, and they lived in these communities. They had... Most, you know, people work the land, so it was about having land to build a a home to raise your crop and cattle and a place to be. Mm -hmm. So that's really what had happened. Of course, you think, well, where are they now? Like most small towns, Main Street America, the small towns could not survive. Mm -hmm. And there were some whites who were, like, just furious that these farm enslaved people had the audacity to live independently. Mm-hmm. And the leaders of these communities were often harassed, murdered, um, and they either had to stop or they were killed or they oh, had goodness. to leave to save their life and their families. Many people are familiar with um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It was a vibrant community, but... One lie to it led to another, and the whole town was burned and bombed to the ground, to ashes. Other communities met similar fates and often wondered what would this country be like now if those people had just been left alone to develop their communities, develop educational institutions, economic institutions, religious institutions, just like everybody else had the chance to do. What, how much stronger would this country be? So much stronger. I mean, the, the economic impact, the educational impact, uh, they, th- those early um, African Americans who were free and being, had that opportunity to be vibrant, 
provided so much to the culture, mm-hmm. uh, to the American culture, that I have to ask, you know, when as a teacher, I mean, how much did it hit you that so much so much of this information was missing? Oh, I mean, that was the whole point. Well, I, I considered myself a halfway intelligent person, and I didn't know most of what I read. It was like unbelievable. And begin to really feel proud of these people who dared to exercise their freedom in face of all the obstacles, the violence against them, the humiliation that they experienced. But what would this country be like if they had been just left alone? How much stronger? Mm -hmm. And if people realize, well, everybody has a chance. Everybody needs to exercise their dreams. Everybody everybody has a purpose to live. Was that one song, there are no extra people. Everybody who's here is supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And everybody has strengths and dreams that they need to exercise. Mm-hmm. So I settled on the year 1870, which was five years after the end of the Civil War, mm-hmm. when many of the former enslaved people had been moving out of the South. Some went north, some went west, some went further south into the islands, into Mexico. Hmm. Some stayed where they were, and it was before the clan-minded people destroyed a lot of that progress. Mm -hmm. So it was just one little window in time that we can say, and then the because the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, the 14th Amendment granted citizenship, mm-hmm. and the 15th Amendment in 1870 granted um, voting for black men. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the HBCUs, we call historically black colleges and universities, were established in the 1860s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. So it's like Things were changing. Things were growing. Yeah. But it was before a lot of institutional racism um, was entrenched in our country. Mm-hmm. And many of the people who were progressing were either killed or threatened or just out of pure frustration. You know, you can get up when you're knocked down, but how many times do you keep getting up? A lot of people just gave up. And says, I can't do it anymore. And especially if their families were threatened. You know, as an individual, as a single person, you can take that abuse. You can still exercise your freedom. But when your family is threatened, sometimes it makes you make other decisions. That is, I, I can't even fathom. I mean, honestly, I, I, the fact that they would have to go through that. Mm-hmm is mind-boggling to me. I know it happened, and it, it it grieves me. And it's not all past tense. That's true. Things are happening today. When we think about um, the voting and the plans to uh, hinder people from voting, exercising their choice, this is what people fought for, and now it's like, no. We don't want you to vote. If you dare get thirsty, please don't ask for water. Just stand in line, and right. if you survive, you might get to vote. But then 
we might not even count your vote because your name, we don't like the way you spell your name. So therefore, you are not that person. Get out of the line. Yeah. <laughs> so all kinds of shenanigans are just created. And even in the the play Sign of the Times, I was reading about some of the ridiculous things that men said that women should not vote because it would affect their reproductive right life. What? <laughs> what? People really believe that. <laughs> so I, it, the the things that people are willing to do to prevent other people from exercising a basic right is honestly mind boggling mm-hmm. at times. Um, you and you really believe that? Come on, let's get you taken to a shrink because something is wrong with you. Oh, right. I was actually reading recently about um, a lot of the hysteria that we see today um, in many of the conspiracy minded people. Um, a lot of that has stretched back mm-hmm. decades it's nothing and, new. And, and hundreds of, yeah, all this it's is, is the way that people responded to, to the pandemic, the, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic mm-hmm. is the exact same way. Nothing new under the sun. It was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard for me to imagine that we've been through things as a human culture and yet we still haven't learned from the past, which isn't that far away. No, it's not really. Mind-boggling. Yeah. I'm probably going to say that a lot during this episode, <laughs> mind-boggling, because it is to me it is mind-boggling. It is. It's unbelievable. And if someone was to write a screenplay or something, and you sit and you watch and you think, wow, those are some crazy people. No one would believe that. But then you back up, you think, wait a minute, this is happening today, mm-hmm. not in some foreign country, in our country. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was happening in our country mm-hmm. decades to hundreds of years ago. Right. The so, same exact the stories exact or same, same kind story. of stories. And that's why it's important to read history and to get an understanding so when things happen, you're not thrown off your feet. You think, okay, this happened before. And when some things are forming, you think, okay, when this happened 120 years ago, this is what happened. So you're already on guard. It's likely to happen. History does repeat itself. Mm-hmm. So you're not so thrown off off course. You understand what the potential is, and that gives you some opportunity to do something about it in advance. But we tell a lot of stories, and... We tell stories about people, and we don't focus a lot on names, dates, and um, things that you have to memorize for the history test. Mm-hmm. We talk about people, and people relate to people. Mm-hmm. The people that we have chosen to talk about are all black people mm-hmm. and what they do and their interaction with non-black people. But you can remember a story more so than you can remember the dates. And if I put the date in context, then you might remember the date too. But you'll remember the story of the man who did this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. or the woman who did X, Y, Z, or the child who experienced so forth. And that's what we do. We also have the Freetown Village Singers. And they sing a lot of the old Negro spirituals, 
that when I grew up, we sang a lot of those in church. Mm-hmm. But today, a lot of people don't go and maybe never have been to church. They're not familiar with those songs. But some of the people like me, yeah, we remember those. Who has a fond memory of those songs? And then we tell some of the meanings of the songs. So people will say, I never knew that's what that song meant. Mm -hmm. One of the songs we sing is sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Mm -hmm. And this one lady said to me, she knew that song. She even sang that song. But she did not understand that song was sung during slavery about a child who did not know where their mother was, who their mother was, and didn't have that compassion that we experienced of having always somebody in your corner. Mm-hmm. When you're down and out, you always have your mother. Your father may pat you on the back and say, you'll be all right but your mom will say something comforting. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine growing up and never, ever, ever having someone who put their arm around you and say, everything's going to be all right. I'm here for you yeah. and encouraging you. So that's what that song is really saying. And um, mm-hmm. we have like our summer day camp. And that kind of started uh, when... We were getting calls from parents in the summer wanting to know if we had anything for their children. Well, we didn't. But a lot of parents say, I want my children to learn about African-American history and culture. Mm -hmm. And so then just so happened we got a a partnership developed with Indy Parks to go to, I think it was 10 public housing sites Mm-hmm. to develop some programming for the children. Okay, as an educator, that's a piece of cake. I do this all the time. I can do this in my sleep. Mm-hmm. We develop some programs to teach our history to children in public housing. Mm-hmm. We were still getting calls from parents. They said, well, our summer program is only for people who live in public housing. It's not a, a general public program. Then we begin to think, wait a minute, there must be a demand for this. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that some of the housing sites were closing for renovation, so we couldn't go to them. Mm-hmm. So instead of 10 housing sites, we had eight. And we had been used to 10 weeks, so we developed a two-week summer experience. We needed to find a place where I passed the fairgrounds every day. I thought, they got plenty of buildings. And we established a partnership with the Indiana Fairgrounds, centrally located. Everybody knows where it is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, we can only do it for two weeks because the fair, they're building up, yep. gearing up for the fair. Mm-hmm. So we did that for a couple of years, and we outgrew the space that they allocated to us. Amazing. But in the meantime, we developed a partnership with the church on the east side, St. Albans Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. at 46 in Emerson. They were looking for a summer program. We were looking for a space, mm-hmm. and that's how we ended up there. But we've been doing summer camp, I think, since 2000. So a lot of the kids now are grown with kids of their own, and we get in the second generation That's amazing. summer camp. That and so awesome. many of the kids use some of the information that we taught them in their school projects, mm-hmm. and um, 
We've had many parents say they were someplace and the kids mentioned something. They said, well, where did you learn that? In Freetown Village Summer Camp. And now they're grown. They still remember these things. So we know we have impacted a lot of people. And it is open to the general public? It is, yes. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. That is, I was actually kind of wondering about the summer camp myself, as a father of five. Mm-hmm. Um, just wondering about how my kids can get to know more about African-American history. Because, again, you know, you go to school mm-hmm. and you're, you're getting a basic history. You You're not getting about Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, maybe Frederick Douglass, and maybe one other person. Mm-hmm. But that's that's all we did. So let's move on to March first. We get enough of that stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys get the shortest month. I mean, that's <laughs> so that's that, that. There's just some some sort of cruel irony about that, but. Um, but let's transition into talking about the stories mm-hmm. and um, the play. Put it up here for those who are watching online or who will be watching the video later. Sign of the Times at the Phoenix Theater. It is going to be held at the Phoenix Theater from August 14th to 16th. Uh, it is starring Miss. Uh, excuse me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In my dates. Um, it is going to be running October 14th through the 16th at the Phoenix Theater at 705 North Illinois. Uh, it is written by Crystal Rhodes. It is edited by Ophelia Wellington. It is directed by Lakeisha Lorraine and starring Miss Latrice Young, who, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, you will remember Miss Latrice from earlier in the year. Um, tell us about the story of Sign of the Times. And I would say most all of our programs evolved from something else we did earlier. Mm-hmm. So we, one of the shows, one of the theater performances, we talk about um, this a free woman of color. She was born in Madison County, no, Madison, Indiana, okay. in Jefferson County, mm-hmm. on the southern part of the state. Free woman, uh, family was free. And uh, because she was free, she wanted things that a lot of the enslaved women were not even familiar with. She was educated, and she wanted to vote. Mm -hmm. And some of the men were like, what are you thinking? This was a mindset of so many men at that time. Even African-American men? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, again, you know, where did they learn that? From their white masters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, she always wanted to own her own business. And she wanted to vote. So this is the story of her granddaughter in the 1900s who gets to vote. So we advance the storyline from 1870 to 1920. Mm -hmm. The show takes place on November the 2nd, 1920, when women across America, most women across America, could vote. Mm-hmm. There's a picture that was in the, I think it was Indianapolis News, of black women on Indiana Avenue actually casting a vote. So we thought, and again, as I was saying, there's so many erroneous, ridiculous things that men said about women. Women had inferior brains. So therefore, they couldn't vote, and they had smaller 
bodies so they had smaller brains. And even if they voted, it might affect their physical health. They would not be able to have children. And women needed to stay at home and take care of the home and their children. And if they voted, they would be ruined. A whole lot of crazy nonsense, but they believe that. And it talked about how women were early, originally involved with the temperance movement. Mm -hmm. So the temperance movement and the suffrage movement had a lot of similarities in terms of advocacy. And the women like Susan B. Anthony, many people are familiar with her, Mm -hmm. were out front for women's suffrage. But when, in 1870, when the black men got a right to vote, and these white women did not get a right to vote, they were furious. And there was this campaign to really get the white women to vote so that their vote could dilute the black man's vote. So they went Amazing, south all these things. and got a lot of the Southerners thinking, oh, that's a great idea mm-hmm. because we didn't want the black men to vote anyway. So uh, it's a lot of craziness that went on. A lot of this comes out in the play, and because the play takes place in Indiana, some people will be familiar with some of the names of people that we mentioned mm-hmm. and some of the places that we talk about but it really sheds a light on how important it is to not allow anything to stop one from voting mm-hmm. and to be aware who's, of who is running and what they stand for. So that's basically what the play yes. is about. It's a funny look at it, but then you, again, you shake your head and you also wonder, okay, what other kind of nonsense are we going through today that 50 years, 100 years from now, people will say, they actually believe that. Right. <laughs> and then sadly, 50 to 100 years from now, they'll probably still be believing the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, just because that seems to be the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask, just this is for my own personal benefit. I mean, the truth be told. Um I am familiar with the election of 1920, not just for women's suffrage, but because it was actually one of my relatives who got elected president. Uh, Warren Harding won that election. Um, and I know that was a lot to do uh, with the, the first time that females were able to, women, females, women were able to vote. Um, does that play a role in it at all? I mean, especially as you talk about getting to know who is, who is running for president, who is running for office in general. Uh, does that play a role at all in, in the play? Um, that's a good question. I don't think so. Well, that's fine. I was just I, curious. I don't think so. I It focused more on what women experienced and what they were going to do. Okay. And okay. Because most of the women who voted were educated women. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, there's a line in the play that says they had the clothes to schools. Because all the teachers were going to vote that day, really? so there wouldn't be anybody to teach the children. That you know that 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 kind of rings true. I mean, you know, there's long been a push to make election day a national holiday, so that 
that would make it have the ability to for everyone to be able to vote who is eligible to vote. But that keeps on getting, you know, pushed down and it and it is not. And you kind of realize that it's things like that that we do small it's there are great things that are done to prevent people from voting, but then there are even smaller things that you don't even think about necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like for most countries, election day is a national holiday, but it's not here. Right. But you we think, all, well, why not? Exactly. Why not? Right. Yeah. And, and it's, you read things that happen, you think, okay, there's a reason why it's not a national holiday. There's a reason why it, they're making it so difficult for people to vote. Eh, they just don't want people to vote mm-hmm. because that makes them more responsible. They got to um, respond to voters. They have to set up professional voting places. Well, even with the last presidential elections, <laughs> how in the world did more people vote for Joe Biden? Because that's who they believed in. Mm-hmm. But we can't believe Oh no! <laughs> I think, well, okay, well, anyway, we're going down a road. I know. Road that's that. <laughs> but it's just the, the irony of what people think and how they think and how strongly committed they are to not changing their beliefs, no matter how much documentation you provide for them. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me real quick, how do you incorporate modern history? Because I mean, we talk a lot about um, when, when there is discussion of African-American history, it seems like it does focus a lot on um, slavery, and for good reason, uh, uh, what happened with slavery and post-slavery um, but a lot of the issues and problems that have taken place still exist. Mm-hmm. So how does, how does your take on modern American, uh, modern African-American history t- uh, come into place? Well, when I first started Freetown, our exclusive year was 1870. That's mm-hmm. all we did. So that happened for maybe 10, 15 years. And then people were saying, well, what happened before 1870 and just like you're saying what happened after Mm -hmm. so then we've expanded and we do different time periods but even with the older versions of our history Mm -hmm. our plays and storytelling we try to make a connection to the current history okay there's going to be a line in it or um, an incident in that program that parallels what we know of today Mm -hmm. and um that way we're connecting the dots. Because it's one thing to think, oh, that happened 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. Wrong. But then yeah. when you connect it to something that you know of today, mm-hmm. you think, oh. It's just a different flavor. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, but just a different flavor. I'm always concerned about teaching. How do we teach people? Mm-hmm. And make it relevant and memorable. So it's one thing to write down a note or something, but can you relate to that story? So we've had people who are not African-American say how much they related to the stories. We present programs in a manner that is not accusatory. Mm -hmm. It's just informative. Mm -hmm. And people will say, I'm so glad I came. I never knew that. And if I had not come, I probably would not have known that. Mm -hmm. And when people are curious, their eyes are open. 
if they're interested, they'll do some additional research themselves. For them now, they're connecting the dots. Okay, that's why that was that way. But that's what that means. So it's really important. One of the things that I was talking about these communities throughout Indiana, Indiana Avenue, uh, at the turn of the century, their first first decade or two in the century was one of the, uh, had more black-owned businesses Mm -hmm. than any other northern city. Really? And I believe that is one of the reasons why Madam Walker came to Indianapolis is because of all the businesses Mm -hmm. up and down Indiana Avenue. And what is there today? What is on Indiana Avenue today? Thinking, well, what happened to those businesses? Yeah. Well, the same strategy that is used in most cities is that the highway systems. Mm. Businesses will come in and just displace hundreds and thousands of people. That's what really happened. One of the additional things that happened in uh, Tulsa. So the people, after the fires, the people started rebuilding Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like it was, but it was getting there. Mm -hmm. And the city fathers decided to run a highway down the middle of that area of Greenwood and destroyed the community. And that's what happened to Indiana Avenue. 65 and 70 destroyed that African-American community. And the people were just dispersed throughout the city. So that synergy, Mm -hmm. that community is no longer there. So you go up and down Indiana Avenue, there's no way that you would know what was there in 1920s. Mm -hmm. And with IU building and building and building, you think this is the way it it always has been. Mm -hmm. The interstate, you know, winding through that area, it's always been there. And a lot of the students that go to IUPUI now have no idea whose homes they're, they're traipsing over now. That's that's honestly been a discussion that we've had in my family. Um, we've had with our friends of just how the highway system has not just disrupted but destroyed communities, mm-hmm. predominantly African-American communities mm-hmm. um, all across the country. But we look at old pictures of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and you see just all these neighbor like Indianapolis was a kind of a tight-knit place, mm-hmm. uh, especially in their different communities very tight knit. And then in comes the highway system. And on top of that with redlining and Mm -hmm. yeah, it completely destroys the community that was there really destroys the, the tight knit um, atmosphere of Indianapolis. And when you think about it, it wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. I'm not from Indianapolis, but I know lots of people who were here, even um, Lockfield gardens. People talk about how vibrant and strong Lockfield Gardens was. There was this culture of <clears throat> not cutting across the grass. So people had a lot of pride in living in Lockville. There were a lot of professional blacks who lived in Lockville up and down Indiana Avenue and those adjoining neighborhoods. Gone on 
And um, in fact, one of our performers and singers grew up in Lockfield. Really? And she talks about it, and she's, you know, about my age. So it's not that they're all in their 90s and so forth. Some people are, are still 50s, 60s, and so forth. Well, yeah, because what the highway system didn't start coming through until the 50s, 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that community had to have been there well in, right. into the 20th century. Right. So, but you don't hear a lot of it talked about. Uh, only when there's a celebration from Adam uh, from Adam Walker or something going on at the theater do you hear about Indiana Avenue. Mm-hmm. But you're, yeah, you're saying that it was incredibly vibrant and uh, there were a lot of famous jazz artists, musicians who lived in and around and performed at some of the clubs on Indiana Avenue. Mm-hmm. But that was similar to other cities where. We created our own entertainment Mm -hmm. because it was impossible to enjoy other forms of entertainment in other locations. So we created everything we needed. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, leave us alone. Nope. You look too happy over there. So (laughs) let's come in and destroy it. (laughs) Oh, that's just laughably sad. It is. I I even hate laughing about that just because, I mean, it's – but it's, it's so sad. That, that, uh, and and I I hate that those communities are lost. Yeah. Because of the culture that they brought, mm-hmm. not just to their own community, but I mean, if you actually, if I'm sure, if someone would walk in there who may not be so judgmental or want to destroy it, um, but who is not from that community, would just be marvelled by what they're seeing. Right. I mean, when I heard, it wasn't that long ago that I heard about what happened in Tulsa. Mm. I mean, seriously, it was probably within the last five, six years that I even heard about what happened in Tulsa. What happened in Philadelphia in 1984, another similar, uh, not a similar situation, but, um, but I mean, bombing, mm-hmm. like the, the local law enforcement literally bombing. Yeah, and it was permissible. And it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I did not know the kind of culture that there was in the Greenwood area of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that even something like that even happened, or that those kinds of communities, those kinds of vibrant communities, existed all over the country. Yes, I think people think Tulsa was the only one, but all over the country, there were these kinds of communities that were successful and. They're no longer there. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would say is uh, historic landmarks is it just recently hired Eunice Trotter to document a lot of these communities, the buildings, and the stories behind and around these buildings in order to help preserve our history and our culture. Mm -hmm. Because people don't know. The first African-American church in Indianapolis was Bethel AME, mm-hmm. African Methodist Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. It is right there on the canal in Vermont. And that's actually the church that Man Walker attended. Oh, really? Now, a lot of the gentrification of our city destroys our historic structures. But the, and I don't know the developer, the owner, but um, they built the Hampton 
Inn and the Hampton Suites, mm-hmm. and they incorporated the structure of the church right there on the canal. So they didn't tear it down. Yeah, They restored it and built onto it. So there's a piece of our history. A block away is Second Baptist Church, mm-hmm. was Second Baptist Church. The building is still there, but the person who owned it turned it into a private residence. So you have two historic structures right there, a block from each other, which will give you some idea of what the community looked like mm-hmm. because you had churches and you had businesses right there together in walking distance. People weren't jumping in their cars and flying all over town. They just walked down the street. Everything yeah. they needed was just a block just away, right two blocks there. away. Yeah. So now yeah. we get people who are moving into the cities and they're trying to build walkable communities. So nothing new is old, nothing old is new. Mm-hmm. Nothing new is old. It's been around. So they're just rebuilding what we used to have. People have bicycles. They don't even own cars because they just want to walk to everywhere they go mm-hmm. or get other forms of transportation. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one thing to say about Indianapolis is that it's a small, small, big town, very easy mm-hmm. to get around. Right. Uh, and they, it's interesting that it has been, it prides itself on that. Um, but it's also sad what we've lost to get to this point. That's true. That's true. And we will never know it all. But in one of our programs, we do a lot of reading of periodicals, what happens. So that gives us the context, gives us conversation about what people were really thinking, what they were really talking about. And we create characters based on a persona of information that we have. And in the original community of Freetown Village, there are 10 residents and they represent people that we identified on the 1870 census, including their age and where they migrated from and what their occupation was. So we developed the town. We gave people personas. And we just created all these stories. Mm-hmm. So when we move out of the 1870s, some of them are still Freetown Village residents. It may be the next generation or the generation before but it's about the information that we're able to document. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we use the exact words that we found in print. And we, again, we're teaching people. Mm -hmm. Well, where can people find out more about Freetown Village? They can visit our website at freetownvillage.org or our Facebook page, Freetown Village. And um, I think those are the two best places to find out about Freetown Village. Is there anything that I have missed that that you would like to add to the conversation that maybe I didn't ask? Well, the play that we're doing, um, Sign of the Times, will be at the Phoenix Theater. And we do have tickets available. They can go to the Freetown Village site or to Phoenix Theater site. And um, it's a remarkable play. Patrice is a one-woman show. Uh-huh. And she, because she knows improv and audience interaction, she's really good in that role. And I didn't get to say that almost all of our programs are interactive. 
And yes, we discussed that prior to starting the show, yeah. but yeah. How is how is this show going to be interactive? How do how do you make a one woman show interactive? Well, it's how we do all of our programs. When you come into the performance space, you're in that environment, oh. and the show takes place in a meeting hall. Mm-hmm. So you're in the hall, and she's talking to people who are in the hall. When I first started Freetown. That's what I wanted to do because I think that to me what made the most sense. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there. Most theater, you have that fourth wall. The actors don't make eye contact with the audience, and the audience are observers, mm-hmm. like a fly on the wall. Yeah. So, but I thought I can do this a little bit differently because I've always done things differently. I'm creative, <laughs> and so I went to the professional theater people and I asked them, and they said, "Eh, it's not going to work." Why not? Because you can never understand what the audience is going to do, Ophelia. They could ruin your show. I said, oh, okay, they made a point. I didn't like it, but I, I went with it. So the first show that we did, under the advice of the professional theater people, sure, it was we had that fourth wall, no audience contact. I hated that show. I couldn't wait for it to be over with. And after that, I said, thank you, I'll take it from here. Because as a classroom teacher, I never knew what my students were going to do, mm-hmm. but I knew I was in charge. I knew I had 50 minutes to get whatever done needed to be done. And whatever Josh said, <laughs> I had an answer for him or I can keep him under control mm-hmm. and not disrupt everybody else. Sure. So I went with that mindset that as an actor, you're in charge. You know what you need to say within this time frame. And let's do a rehearsal. These are some potential things <clears throat> that people might do or how they might respond. So I'm going to train you to go this way. I'm going to train you to go that way. And if you have enough information, if I didn't train you in either of these, go the way that makes the most sense for that time. But we never embarrass people. If you read people, you know what you can do. Mm-hmm. And programs have been successful. People say, I really felt like I was there. So when we ask people a question in the audience, they respond because like, hey, I'm in this show. I'm a part mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. So it really helps to warm people and give them that experience. That's, Every show is different because yeah. we have different audiences. That's amazing. That's that, I think that's what I've really found fascinating about interactive theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm looking forward to checking it out myself. Well, great, good. Um, so uh, again, well, I'll ask one last time. Am I missing anything? I want to make sure that we get everything. I think that's about it. Okay. Um, our phone number three one seven six three one eighteen seventy. I like how you plug the year there too. <laughs> and just as a final reminder, sign of the times: the historic fight for women's voting rights will be at the Phoenix Theater October fourteenth through the sixteenth. 705 North Illinois Street, and that will be starring Miss Latrice Young. It's been edited by our guest, Miss Ophelia Wellington. Uh, Miss Wellington, thank you so much for thank being you. on the this show has today. Been a fun conversation. Thank you. And if you have enjoyed what you've heard, I'm recording this at the Engine Room Recording Company, and it is located in Broad Ripple Village, just north of downtown Indianapolis, and it specializes in making your projects go. Podcasters, bands, audiobookers, rappers, singers, songwriters, and everyone in between. The Engine Room Recording Company has the engineers, the equipment, and the environment to fuel your projects. 
Check out Broad Ripple's recording studio by visiting for more information, their services, artists they've recorded, and gear they have at EngineRoomRecordingCompany.com. And be sure to check out their Instagram page by searching Engine Room Recording Company. Ms. Wellington, thank you one more time for being on the show. Thank you. This has been Josh Gillespie. This has been Voices of Indie. And we'll see you again next time.